I get the first chart up there. Thank you for coming today. As some of you know, um, summer has started. And uh, along with the start of that summer has been the start of something new in Hope Christian Church, which is the um, sabbatical of Todd Cravens. And so his, uh, he's already well underway um, in, in his sabbatical. And so while he's away through the months of June, uh, July, and parts of August, several of us will be um, preaching through um, the, the, uh, the topic, the summer and the psalms. So we thought it'd be a great idea as elders that, um, to go through these psalms, and I encourage you to uh, attend as many of these as you can. I know the summer months are, are busy with vacations and, and otherwise, but um, each psalm is going to bring something different, and each psalm will bring a different picture of God, give a different picture of who you are, who God is, what he wants from us, what it means to worship, and so forth. So let me encourage you to, to be a part of that. I think it's going to be a great series. Um, my job today is to uh, get the, the series started. There'll be some technical things I'll go through um, that are, I, I think, necessary. A little bit on the dry side, so I apologize for that. But there will also be, um, later in my, in my talk, uh, sometime around 2 o'clock, is that OK? Ian? <laughs> um, we'll go, I'll go into some, a couple of psalms that really mean something to me. So how about if I pray, and then we'll get started. Father, you are good, and what you do is good. That's Psalm 119.68. And we thank you for your goodness to Hope Christian Church. We thank you for your goodness to us as individuals, that every soul in this building is important enough to die for. You thought it that important. Um, Long ago, you had the opportunity, in the Old Testament we read, you had the opportunity to walk away from us when we were a people who totally walked away from you. And yet you stayed, and yet you invested, and you covenanted with us. And here we are, we're your people, and you are our God. Your spirit is within our hearts, and we can know you because of the spirit that lives within us. It's awesome. It's indescribable. It's amazing what you've done. And so, Lord, as we go through the book of Psalms, may you be exalted above the heavens. There is no one like you. For you even say, who is like me? Who will you compare me to? I know not one. There is no one like me. And Lord, as we go through the Psalms, help us to see more and more of that. There is no one like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love, could you bring me my water, please? Sorry, I forgot to bring it up. I know my mouth's going to get dry. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to do something off script. Uh, so one of the songs we, said, we sang this morning said, um, how can I keep from shouting your name? So what do you think I want to do? <laughs> um, so I... Uh, this, this morning, around 12.30, our power went out. And so between 12.30 this morning and now, I've probably had two hours of sleep. So God help us, as, and God help me as we go through this. But one way you could encourage me is if you shout the name of Jesus with me. Okay, so for some of you, that's going to be weird and awkward. And for some of you, it's going to be okay. And for some of you, you don't know. So I encourage you to try it. 
the reason why I'm, I'm encouraging you to try it is because the scriptures say, shout to the Lord. And so if the scriptures say it, then why don't we do it? On three. And I want you to say Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus! Okay, so that one was for me. We're going to do it one more time, and this is for you. Now, this is an act of worship, right? Because if the Psalms say, shout to the Lord, shout is an act of worship. Shouting is an act of worship. So, you're not shouting to please me. You're not shouting to impress your neighbor. In your heart, shout to the Lord and worship him. He's worthy of your shout. Is he not? If you go to a football game and you, sh you shout for the victor, they're, they're, it's because they're worthy of your shouting, right? Well, the Lord is worthy of even more, right? And he's worthy of us giving him great praise. So let's do that on three. One, two, three. Jesus, we love you, Lord. Amen. All right, so the next chart, please. So as we go through the Psalms, you can see what the schedule is week by week. So we'll be covering uh, different Psalms. It's interesting that none of them go into the higher hundreds, but that's all right. Um, so Steve Boston, I'm sorry, Steve Brown, Chris Boston, Andrew Lane, Andy Mills, Alex Cravens, young Alex, Ben Polk, and it'll be rounded out by Rob and John. And so, again, each psalm's going to bring something different. And so I encourage you to, to attend as many of these as you can. We'll go to the next chart. So, by way of introduction, uh, the book of Psalm is basically a hymnal and turns out to be the songbook of, uh, of the Jewish people, or uh, the collection of, of the psalms is referred to as the Psalter. And it's a collection of individual poems. Um, it's not like you might think of in a, a Pauline epistle where you start in verse 1 and he's got a plan to get from verse 1 to the last verse and there's a theme and there's a process and there's logic, there's linear logic that takes you from where he started to the very point he's trying to make at the very end. That's not what we're going to see in Psalms, especially for the entire book. It's a collection of individual poems and songs and laments. And each one has to be analyzed by itself. And each one has to be read through carefully in totality. We don't pick and choose out of the Psalms um, and try to figure out what the whole Psalm is trying to say. So, so I, that's, that's an encouragement to you as you study the Psalms and as you listen to the Psalms, understand the entire Psalm and listen to that. Uh, one thing I should note is that there is editorial evidence that um, people have contributed to the Psalms. Now, that part may not be the inspired part. Um, this is something that, that uh, for example, like titles and, and mentions about songs and types of songs, um, the so-called superscriptions, as well as the arrangement of the Psalms was probably put together sometime after the Psalms were written and, and inspired. And you can, you can think about, um, if you've read Psalm 72, at the end of Psalm 72, it says something like, so ends the, the Psalms of David. And then 18 psalms later, there's more psalms from David, right? So that can't be the last. Psalm 72 was not David's last psalm. But that was the, the way that the psalms were arranged. Uh, so there was some editorial license that was given in the creation of the Psalter. Uh, well, that's OK. Uh, we still know and understand that the, 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 the psalms themselves, each individual psalm, is inspired. So we go to the next one. So since it's a poem, 
we don't analyze it and understand it the way we would do a, a narrative or a, um, a discourse, um, an, a, a letter that tries to present an argument. Uh, it's, it's, we have to understand the literary elements in the psalm to help us understand what's the, what's the, the psalm is trying to say. What's the poet trying to say? So <clears throat> one thing, so let me back up. So the American Academy of Poets <clears throat> describes lyric poetry in this way. So this is probably the best way to categorize what a psalm is, lyric poetry. And it says, it defines it as a short poem, often with song-like qualities that expresses the speaker's personal emotions and feelings, historically intended to be sung and accompany, sung and accompany musical instrumentation. And so you witnessed that this morning with the, uh, uh, the, the instrumentation that's associated with, with Psalm 25, for example. So the Psalms make use of metaphors, um, hyperboles, parallelism, and other literary elements to communicate an emotional response from the heart. So this is not a cerebral response uh, from the mind. Right? This is not a Pauline letter where you logically march through a linear progression, making several points you know, and, and you know, reaching at some final nugget that you're trying to obtain uh, or doctrine that you're trying to describe. That's not what we're going to see here in the Psalms. What we're going to see is an emotional response. And so some of you who have been in conversations with, with people, sometimes they might say, can you just listen? I, I don't want you to analyze what I'm saying. Don't go through the linear analysis. Don't analyze me. Just listen. Listen, listen, for ev listen to everything I'm saying. Don't, don't interrupt me. I just want you to hear what I'm saying. And that's sort of how we approach the Psalms. We've got to listen to everything and then understand, because it might, what, what might sound like a linear progression may all of a sudden in the middle switch to something else. And, and it's the psalmist with an with a, a intentional um, approach that's more emotional than, than cerebral, more emotional than intellectual, more uh, circuitous than linear. And there might be a reason behind that. There might be a reason for it to be uh, nonlinear. OK, so that's one thing. We'll, and we'll probably see some of that as we go through the summer through the different psalms, the different uh, speakers who talked about different psalms. The next thing we might, might want to touch on would be authorship. Not all the psalms have attributions to authors. 73 of the psalms are attributed to David, 12 to Asaph, who was a Levite uh, around David's time, uh, two to Solomon, one to Moses, one to e Ethan the Ezraite. So do you remember the, the book of Ezra? So of the tribe of, uh, of the lineage of, of Ezra, and Heman the Ezraite. Ezra now it's interesting that, that Ethan the Ezraite, so when when the, the Bible was, was describing Solomon's great wisdom, it said Solomon was even more wise than Ethan the Ezraite. So really bright people can be involved in writing psalms and poems. So, so we see and we understand, and we're used to the fact that David wrote a lot of the psalms. He didn't write all of them. Some of the psalms, again, don't have authorship assigned to them, um, but that's OK. They were still inspired. In fact, there is reference uh, in the uh, New Testament to Psalms, I believe this is true, that don't have authors assigned to them or ascribed to them. So next, um, the next chart 
gives you some example of uh, a reference back to that list of authors. So in fact, the collections of David and Asaph. So if we look at 2 Chronicles 29, 29 and 30, it says, when the offering was finished, uh, the king, which is King Hezekiah, and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshiped. And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph, the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshiped. So you see attribution to uh, in, in the, uh, um, the writings of Second Chronicles in the time of Hezekiah, which was 300 years after David, and looking back and, and an attribution back to a collection of psalms from David and Asaph. So, so we see here that, that there was this, this, this idea of a book of psalms, a book of poems, a book of songs um, that were attributed to the two most popular uh, or most prolific authors. David and Asaph. The next thing is the order of the Psalter. So I did say that there was some editorial license that was taken by the Jews. And the, the book has been divided into five, the, 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 um, five books. So, so Psalms has been divided into five books. And you can see there the different divisions. Book one is Psalm 1 through 41, and book two is 42 to 72, and so forth. Each book uh, which, interesting, interestingly enough, each book concludes with a doxology. You guys are probably familiar with uh, a very famous doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here below, so on and so forth. There's a, at the end of each one of these books, there, is, there are verses where each book is ended by a doxology, a doxological kind of message. Uh, where, and then in book five, Psalm 150 is like an overall doxology for the book, for the Psalter. So that's just something to keep in mind. It may not change how you think about the Psalms or, or, or uh, what you learn from the Psalms, but that's, it's, it's helpful when you're paging through it and thumbing through the, the Bible why you see references to different books. The next slide, we, talk, we can see that there's actually New Testament reference to the Psalter. Uh, the first one we, we see is in the book of Luke. Um, in the words of Jesus himself. Then Jesus said to them, how is it that they say the Christ is the son of David? So you see here he's arguing um, and trying to, to make a point about who he is. And he says, David himself declares in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then elsewhere, if we go to the next chart, you can see that Paul the apostle also references the Psalms. In fact, he references it by number where it says, and we bring you the good news that what God promised the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as, as also it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And so you, you can find that in your, your, your current Bible. Psalm 2 has that verse in it. And so 2,000 plus years ago, um, we see that there is some collection of books, some collection of poems, and even some order that has been preserved as far back as, as that. I don't, I don't think people know exactly how far back the, the preservation goes um, or the order or when the order was established, but we can at least see here that, that uh, the Apostle Paul was aware of something called Psalm 2, and it's the same psalm that we're, uh, we know of today. 
So another literary element is, a, is an acrostic. So we're all familiar with, with what acrostics are. If we go to the next slide, here's a familiar one. Uh, and this, is, this acrostic is used, so an acrostic is uh, three words or phrases that if you take the first letter of each uh, word, it forms another word, and the idea is to help you remember um, the, the, four, the, the, the different phrases. And so in this case here, it's, a, it's a, uh, an acrostic to help you with regards to prayer. So the A stands for adoration. So the, the acrostic is acts. So if you can just remember acts, so if I want to pray, what would I pray? Well, I'll pray acts. What does that mean? Well, A is adoration, C is confession, T, thanksgiving, and S, supplication. So these are elements of prayer, things that can help you in your prayer life. And all you have to do is rem remember acts, and, and off you go. Well, there's another acrostic that helps, too. Um, this is more of a sequential acrostic. And what I mean by sequential is that it doesn't, the first letter of every word doesn't form a word, but it forms uh, something that's a logical sequence. So you can recognize this as the days of the week. And again, another tool for praying, being an effective prayer. And when I learned this, I, this is something I've been praying for years, um, but recently switched to a different method, but I learned that somehow um, a famous missionary uh, developed this, and you can see that on Monday, what you'd do is you'd pray for missionaries. On Tuesday, you'd pray for the team. If you're involved in any kind of a team, a ministry team, on Wednesday, you would um, pray for workers, Todd, so forth. Things, whatever things come into your, into your mind, whatever, whatever, whatever things are important in your life. On Friday, you pray for, pray for family. On Saturday, you pray for saints. And there's never an end to the needs of the saints. There's never an end to the need of your brother and sister. So you, you uh, can keep yourself pretty busy on Saturday. And on Sunday, you pray for sinners. And so um, this is a very, for me, a very handy way as a young believer um, that I used to, to develop a prayer life. Uh, sometimes when we pray, we're just like, eh, I don't know, what do you pray? And um, how can you develop discipline in your prayer life? Well, this is one way. So I encourage you, if this is not something that you've done before, if, um, if you're looking for a way to, to build discipline into your prayer life, this is something that you might want to think about. Um, now, a, a more um, applied acrostic to the book of Psalms, we can find that in Psalm 119, actually. So Psalm 119 uh, consists of many strophes. So strophes is a collection of verses, a section of verses. There are uh, eight strophes, so I've got it written here. There's eight strophes and one corresponding to each letter in the Jewish alphabet. There's 22 letters, so that makes Psalm 119 the longest psalm in the Bible at 176 total verses. And the beginning of each strophe, the beginning of each sentence in each strophe is begins with a letter of the alphabet, starting with their first letter, which is Aleph. And you can see they, uh, um, in Hebrew, you actually write and read from right to left, not left to right. So that's why you see the, the letter in blue. That's the first letter of that first sentence, if you were to read it in Hebrew. And every, every line in that strophe starts with that same letter. And then you go to the next strophe, and the, the second letter of the alphabet is Bet. And every, every line in the strophe starts with the letter bet. It's a very clever way to do it. 
And it's believed that the reason this was done was to help people memorize easier if you can, if you can have it follow an alphabet, just like if you have something, your prayer life follow the days of the week, it just helps you to remember. There are other psalms that are like this, um, and um, perhaps they'll be touched on later. The next thing is that um, you can actually find theology in the psalms. The nature and character of God. Um, I won't go into the details there, but we learn um, very interesting things about who God is. We can also learn very, very interesting things about who we are, the nature of man, the nature of people, the nature of, of uh, uh, what it's like when you're lamenting. When you, some of us, you know, we love the Psalms because we can identify with some of the things these people, are, the, the psalmist is going through. Uh, for me, sometimes the Psalm is, a, is one of the first places I go to when I'm not feeling well emotionally. I don't go to the Book of Romans. I don't go to something that's heavy in doctrine. I want to go to something where I can identify, and I, it's just a natural draw for me. I think I'm pretty sure that's probably the same for you, that as you go into the Psalms, you see somebody who's struggling like you or worse than you, and you see how they, you know, at some, at some points have very raw responses. In fact, some responses are, you know, disrespectful toward God, right? They, and, and the Lord has allowed that disrespect to be in his scripture. That's a very interesting point, isn't it? Why would he do that? He knows that we're, when, we're, we're but dust, and we, we're, we're needy people, and we're not perfect, and we are going to go through some things in our lives where, and times in our lives where life is very difficult and very raw, and how do you get through raw situations? How do you get through situations where you face affliction or you face opposition or you face um, persecution or you face loss of some kind, financial loss, or you're about to, to you know, enter into some, some state of ruin? I'm, I can guarantee you that you'll find a psalm that, that you'll relate to and you'll see the comfort of God come on you and, and allow, um, it'll, it'll be something that God will use to minister to you. We also see messianic prophecy. Um, you can, there, are reference, there, there are verses in the New Testament where we see the, the New Testament writer pointing back to the Psalms um, with indicators and pointers and pictures of the, the promised Messiah of, of, of Jesus in, in the uh, Old Testament and in the Psalms, fulfilled by Jesus. We also see uh, demonstrations of faith and trust. In you, O God, I, I put, uh, I, in you, O God, I lift up my soul, and so forth. The trust, and I think that the book of Psalms, for me, helps me understand how do you trust? How do you trust God? And if you want to learn what it's like to trust God, I'd say spend some time in the Psalms. That's why I say come every Sunday, because you're going to learn something. But one thing that's important for us to learn as a people is, to how, to, is, is how to trust God. When Jesus said, when, when the Son of Man comes back to the earth, will he find faith? It's very easy for us, you know, the, the, the world is, is living life, and they, they live life because there are ways to figure out this world and just do stuff, right? Just, oh, that's easy, you just do this, or it's easy, you just do that. But sometimes the Lord challenges us to do things that are not the, not the way the world does things, right? We have to walk by faith. How do you walk by faith? How do you trust God? 
And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for, for people who will say, well, why don't you wait? Instead of going and doing, somebody else might just do, 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 do. I'm going to take care of this. I'm an action person, right? And God's word to you might be, no, wait. It doesn't make any sense. And the reason he wants you to wait is because he wants you to trust him, right? And trust, sometimes if you uh, trust God, he may, he may make you wait a long time. Um, and, but in the end, he'll deliver. He'll never let you down. I have these African friends uh, from Nigeria. I love the way they, they, they speak about faith. And um, I won't try to imitate his an accent, but he says, just trust God. He'll never fail you. He will never fail you. Trust God. And that's the difference between us and the world. We're not trusting in our mind. We're not trusting in logic. And we're not trusting in the ways of man. We trust God who rescues us, who rescues the needy. That's who we trust in. And that's what he wants. That's what he wants to see as a people of faith. And so we can see that in the Psalms. We see people who are desperate, 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 and they trust God. They reach out to him because they have no place else to turn. And sometimes the Lord drives us to that point. It's hard for us to, to understand that as a very you know, modern people. We know how to survive in this world. But how, do you, how does God teach a modern person to trust him? How does God teach a modern person to, to, um, to, to, to come to a point where, there's no, where they can say, there's nobody else who can rescue me but you alone? And that's where the intimacy comes in, by the way. Psalm 84, verse 1, um, I think verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And this is a man who's just intimate, wants intimacy with Jesus. And the way you get there, and I think the way I've gotten there is, and we're going to talk about this in a session, a second, is through affliction, where there's no place else for me to turn. There's nothing I can count on in my flesh, in my skills, that will rescue me other than the Lord God Almighty. Okay, and the last thing is worship. So we talked a little bit about that already. I'm shouting, they're singing, and so forth. We're going to learn, and you will learn as you spend time in the Psalms, what it means to worship, both at the individual level as, as well as the corporate level. There are things for us to learn from the book of Psalms. All right. Well, now I'm going to, uh, that's it for uh, the, the boring uh, intro and, and technical information that I wanted to present to you. Uh, the next thing I want to do is just give you a little bit of um, uh, insight on, on what God has done for me through the book of Psalms. And uh, I'll start with this, um, this next chart, which I'm titling this, this particular season of my life as With Christ in the Valley of Affliction. How dark and uh, unattractive that sounds. But... Like I said, um, I think in the valley of, of affliction, that's where some of us, and certainly me, are going are gonna to face the, the king. <laughs> you come into the... That's not the only way. Let, let me, don't get me wrong. There are other ways that, that God will teach you and instruct you. But I want to talk about a time for me where I was changed in an amazing way because I walked through the valley of affliction. So I'm going to present five verses, three, four of them from Psalm 119, and then the other one from Psalm, uh, Proverbs uh, 20. And the first one, Psalm 119, verse 67. So it says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, 
but now I obey your word. And what was happening was there was some error in my thinking. There was some error in my knowledge of God. There was, a, there was error in my concept of God. I've heard people say that, <clears throat> you know, you are who you are based on your concept of God. However you view God, that's how you view your world. That's how you view what you do. It's all based on your concept of God. Who is God? That's the key question of the universe. The, the key question of the universe is not uh, what is the meaning of life. It's who is the meaning of life. And... The, you know, the key part of, of who you are as a, as a son or a daughter of Christ is who is God to you. And so for me, there was error in my thinking. And I, I felt a little bit identified very much like Job, where he was off, you know, fat, dumb, and happy and just carrying on with life. And then boom, as far as he was concerned, just things just started happening. Uh, awful things, if you recall from the book of Job. It just happened. And uh, although we have insight into what, what was happening behind the scenes, God was having a conversation with Satan. And of course, God says, oh, have you considered my servant Job? Consider him for what? <laughs> you know, Satan had only one thing. So God knew that, this, that what, what Satan was going, going to do. He knew that, that Satan wasn't going to go and bless him. Satan was going to challenge him. So... I felt the same way, that I, I just, out of nowhere, there was just this, this uh, sense that, um, just deep despair and depression, just out of nowhere. And uh, just the sense that, that um, uh, this, is, this is too dark a time for me to handle on my own. It says uh, uh, in Proverbs, um, a man's spirit sustains him in sickness. A man's spirit sustains him in sickness. So you can get by taking your medicines and so forth with your spirit. But a crushed spirit, who can bear? If your spirit gets crushed, then what do you do? And I think that's where God was taking me, was a crush, he crushed my spirit. It's sort of the same sorts of language that, that, that Job was saying. You know, you've crushed me. And it was a, it was a good crushing, right? It was a, it was a purposeful... Um, process that God had for me to bring me to a place where he had my attention and I was at a place where I could learn and, and uh, I was just raw. I was, I, I was just, I needed, I needed, I wanted out of this, this state of, uh, um, you know, this dark place. I didn't want to be where I was and so I was crying out, God help me. And so I just so happened to be going through Psalm 119 at the time and as I was going through that psalm, this was one of the verses that came up. So, um, it was good for me to be afflicted. I'm sorry, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. So I was astray. I didn't know exactly what it was that, where I was astray. I just knew that there, something wasn't right. Uh, the other thing I did know is that God was with me. So I did hear him in, a, in, a, in one sense saying, it's okay, just walk with me. I'm right here. I'm right here. Take my hand. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. And let's walk through this. And I had no idea where we were going other than that, if you don't rescue me, I'm going to be in trouble. And I don't want to be in this state anymore. I don't like it. It's too, it's, it just hurts too much. It's too, it's too dark. I don't, like, I don't like that. So then the next, the next verse. You are good. But what you do, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. This is the, the other thing that he was teaching me, that he is good. 
So even though it was a difficult time, even though it was very dark and, and uh, you know, uh, very unpleasant, <laughs> to put it mildly, I did know he was good. And I did hear him say, I could sense him saying, just take my hand, I'm here. Just take my hand, keep walking. Okay, and this was through a period of like maybe a week going through this. The next verse, Psalm 119.71. It was good for me to be afflicted. So now I'm coming out of this, this situation. God's bringing light and, 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 and some, some recovery. And I'm able to say it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might, might learn your decrees. So I was learning things, and, and there was just a lot of nearness. There was a lot of... Um, um, just an understanding that, that, I don't know, I just felt cleansed from that process. Uh, and I did feel near, nearer to him. And the, the next verse is, uh, I'll, let's go to the next one. It makes me chuckle every time I think about it, but this was, this was actually what was happening to me. Proverbs 20, verse 30, blows and wounds cleanse away evil and beatings purge the inmost being. And think about that. Blows and wounds cleanse away. This is the way God deals with us sometimes. Blows and wounds cleanse away evil and beatings purge the inmost being. Isn't there a better way to get sanctified <laughs> than having to go through that? But I mean, here it is in Proverbs 20, verse 30. And I'm convinced that the author of Psalm 119 was going through affliction. Um, you can see it. This isn't just, I'm just giving you a small sampling of these of verses, but there's this continual crying out to God because of affliction. But the affliction is for a good purpose. Someone, you know, six, verse 68 says, you are good in what you do. That's what the conclusion was. You're good. You're good. I know you're good. But there's darkness in each one of us. There's depravity. There's just brokenness. I, you know, I had issues on my issues when I became a Christian. Uh, I was a mess. And God was using this period of brokenness to purge and to cleanse and to wipe away darkness. And so... It was actually an act of love, taking me through this, this, this really deep and dark time that I hope I never get to go through again, was actually an act of love, an act of mercy, an act of kindness. So praise God, I'm a different man than who I was back then. I'm still, I can still sense today that there was a shift, there was a major turn in my walk with God. In fact, it was more like this, <laughs> up um, in my relationship with him, that um, I think I never could have gotten to where I am today unless he took me through that, through that season. And then finally, um, the last verse, Psalm 119, verse 92. This has been a precious verse to me. I hope, I hope you capture what it's trying to communicate. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If you're walking through a season of affliction, stay close to God's word. Be a person of, be a man, be a woman of God's word daily, daily, daily in God's word because that's where he's going to meet you and that's where life is. Your word is life, right? He says that in, Mos in, the, in, in the, the Old Testament, Moses says, you know, these words are life. God says it to Moses. So, If you're walking through affliction, again, God wants to tell you, I'm here. Take my hand, one foot in front of the other. Let's just make it through today. And <clears throat> you're going to come out on the other side. 
in a better way, a deeper relationship, more sanctified, more like Jesus as a result of what he takes you through. All right. Now, um, if we go to the next chart, one last thing I wanted to, to touch on. So you did hear me say that I, uh, when I went through that season, it felt a lot, I felt a lot like Job. And I think there's a, a message in Psalm 50 for us that actually connects to Job and connects to this whole idea of, of affliction. And so let's go to, the, to that verse in Psalm 50. Uh, Psalm 50, uh, verse 21. That, so God is actually speaking to wicked people in this psalm, this part of the psalm, which by the time you get to verse 21. And to the wicked, he says these words. These things you have done. So, so there, he, he, lay, he gives a list of all these things that the wicked are doing. And then he says, these things you've done, and I've been silent. You thought I was one like yourself. In other words, you thought I was just like you. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. So the, the point I want to make here is that, you know, the wicked think God is just like they are. You know, if, if we can just do it in the dark, he won't see it. If we can just do it under the table, he'll never see it. He's not like us. And so I think there's a, there's a challenge here to us as, as a body of, of believers is to, is to ask the question, do, how do I view God? Do I think he's just a little bit higher than me? Is that, there's a, there was a book written in the 1950s by J.B. Phillips. It's called, Your God is Too Small. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great book. If you, it's a small, short book. But, but he, he asks a very penetrating question. How big is your God? Is your God able to do what, you think, what he says he, is, he, he can do? Or is your God just a little bit higher than you? And is he a limited God? He's not. And so I think what was happening with Job was Job, when, when God talked to Satan and, and complimented Job, God knew that Job still wasn't done. Job wasn't perfect. There was still more work to be done in Job's life. And I think it, we, what we'll see is that Job still didn't see God as, as big as he, as, he, as he ought to have. So there's a warning again. Let's not make God just a little bit higher than we are. He's not. Okay, the next, the next chart. So here's, so here's where, where I say that, that Job still needed some work. In, in uh, Job 16.9, Job is saying, He, God, has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He has gnashed his teeth at me. My adversary sharpens his eyes against me. And the next one, in Job 19.6 and 7, Know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out, violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. <laughs> so here's, here's these, these accusations on Job's part. Um, you know, Job wasn't perfect. I mean, I'll, I'll, we need to give him a break because, uh, you know, he was going through some pretty severe um, suffering. And it's in that place of suffering that the real you comes out, right? It, it's like a, the crucible um, where you put put gold in, right, and you heat it up, and all the dross rises to the top. And so sometimes the Lord puts us in that crucible because he wants the dross to rise to the top and get rid of that, that stuff. You, he wants you to, he already sees it. He wants you to see it, and he wants to remove it from you so that you come forth as gold. 
And so that's, that's the process I, I think Job is going through, is God is telling Job, or go, God is allowing Job to go through some, some intense suffering. He's allowing Job to get to a point where, okay, now let's see the real Job come out, and bing, these two verses, right? The real Job. And now, so God didn't, didn't punish him for those verses. He didn't punish him for feeling that way, but God does do something, right? So it's clearly an error, right? His concept of God is clearly an error, just like mine was. There was error in my thinking. So if we go to the next chart. And so God, by, ver by chapter 38, spends the next four chapters um, basically rebuking Job. <laughs> and it's a rebuke out of kindness. Job, God's not trying to be mean. He's not angry at him. He's just trying to, the, he's trying to tell Job, I I'm not who you think I am. Actually, here's who I am. And so he describes who he is. And Job, and, and you have to read each, each uh, chapter. So I was, I was timing it uh, on the internet. It takes 10 minutes to read four chapters. Can you imagine sitting with God and for 10 minutes he's talking to you nonstop pretty much about himself and who he is? That, that would just be so <laughs> uncomfortable. I mean, I would just melt into a pool, right, uh, of, of whatever, but uh, tears. But, but this is what God did for Job. This is what he did to Job. And the, the objective was to, 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 to help Job understand a couple of things. One, that God loves him. And two, to instruct him. I'm not like you. I'm not like you. Here's who I am. Job 38, verse 4. It's just one, pulling out one verse from each, each chapter. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? How, how do you answer that question? Right? Job 39, 19. Do you give the horse his might? Have you ever, yeah, no. Job 40, verse 10, clothe yourself with glory and majesty and splendor. Try that. No, you can't, you can't do that. And Job 41, verse 8, lay your hands on Leviathan. This, um, I believe it's referring to a, a, a giant uh, creature. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. <laughs> right. So God, in other words, God, God can handle Leviathan, but don't, don't think about trying to, to mess with, with him. So I, I'm going to end here with this, this chart. We have to be very careful that our God is not somebody that we've created in our own image. It's possible to do that, isn't it? <clears throat> and so how do we find out who God is from the scriptures? So be people of God's word. People of God's word. All right. Well, let me close this in prayer, and then we can move on. Lord, we thank you for this book of Psalms. We thank you that it's not like any of the other books, the narratives, the books of wisdom. It's not like uh, the epistles or the gospels. It's a collection of songs and poems and laments, literary um, uh, features that we need to pay attention to. It's the capturing of the anguish of some, uh, the anguish in their hearts and the appeal to you for help. And we are a people, Lord, we recognize we're a people who are needy. We don't see you as you are. 
we are definitely in need of instruction. We are definitely in need of being renewed in our thinking day by day. And I thank you that it's your job as the author and the finisher of our faith, it's your job to, to bring us to that place of, of fulfillment, to bring us to that place of correction, uh, that we might be um, full and complete and mature as you desire. So I thank you that you have invested in each one of us and you desire to, to make us more like Jesus. And so you're going to do that as we walk through the book of Psalms this, this summer. And Lord, would you help us to see who you are? Help us to see the grandeur, the splendor, the majesty, the greatness. There is no one like you. May we rejoice, God, more because of what we learn in the book of Psalms. May we love you more. May we exalt you more. May we hold you higher than we've ever done in our thinking, Lord, in our concept of who you are, in our understanding of who you are. May you be lifted up above everything in your right, right place. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.